Okay, welcome back. Uh, so after the pause, after uh, the reading of Tao Te Ching for many months, uh, I was given a suggestion from a member in one of the groups uh, to read about or look into the life and teachings of Nityananda, which is Bhagwan Sri Nityananda of Ganesh Puri, <clears throat> not some other person named Nityananda who is a younger fellow who seems to be quite an entertainer. Uh, the main site that I want to draw from, at least initially, is CosmicHarmony.com. <clears throat> uh, if you look down the page, you'll see a section called Lives of Sages, Saints, and Avatars, including Nityananda and some others, Ramakrishna and Yeshua Jesus and Buddha and Sai Baba. And so it's an interesting site. <clears throat> Lots of um, profiles of different spiritual teachers and their stories and their lives. Very helpful. And so I'm going to today read a biography of Nityananda from Cosmic Harmony and give some commentary. Uh, to me, uh, Nityananda is in a class by himself uh, or at the level of a Buddha. <clears throat> and I've met over my lifetime um, beings that I would consider uh, nearby that level. I mean, I don't think I've ever met Nityananda. He died in August 1961, which was 10 months before I was born, or one month before I was conceived, or one month after, or something. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, he was uh, leaving when I was coming in, and uh, a number of important people died in 1961, actually. I think Carl Jung also, and some other um, Buddhist teachers. So, um, to me, Nityananda um, is, as um, some understand him, meaning uh, an incarnation of the Logos. And he never went <clears throat> to, uh, unless, uh, uh, aside from the time when he was about 10 years old and started wandering, uh, the, these are all stories of his life. Nothing was really written down during his lifetime, because he was born um, around uh, before the turn of the century, about 1896. You'll see here, lived till 61, so he didn't live that long physically. Um, but it didn't really matter, because it seemed to me that he was um, an incarnate uh, guardian of the planet in the 20th first in the 20th century one of the guardian one of one of the beings from the level of the guardians of the of the octave of eighth density uh, I think he was of eighth density coming in and different than Gautama who um, achieved that same um, infinity achievement in union with the logos <clears throat> what what Nityananda would say is the union of uh, Jivatman with Paramatman or Brahman and Parabrahman Jivatman or Atman and Parabrahman meaning the Atman higher self which is the essential beingness the, the core of our beingness in the octave Atman with the Logos which is akin to an 8th density achievement Gautama did that presumably um, made that achievement during his incarnation as Siddhartha Gautama. Uh, Nityananda, I think, on the other hand, came in from eighth density, and he never took a guru during his life. Every single person that appro approached him was guest to his host, meaning Chinese Buddhism is an old tradition of talking about guest and host. Who's the guest? Who's the host? The host is the superior developed one. The guest is the supplicant or the disciple or the one who's seeking some help. Uh, sort of like Erdogan going to Putin <laughs> today uh, <clears throat> or tomorrow. Uh, guest is... Uh, everyone who came to him was the guest. 
and um, even Muktananda, um, who was important to lots of Western devotees, um, was a guest or a student or a disciple or a devotee or someone who came and went. And um, I had hesitated for a long time to read of Nityananda because he's so clearly <laughs> beyond my comprehension. Uh, and you'll find that lots of people who talk about him project on him, <clears throat> as, as people normally do, uh, project on him what they, uh, how they imagine his condition. Um, it's very much like uh, people, the, the 10,000 names of God. Everybody uh, talks about Supreme God or Creator um, differently. Uh, some will say it's the Great Father, some will say it's a Great Mother, um, some will say God and Goddess, and some don't use the term at all. Some would say Krishna or Shiva or just Nirvana, Ain um, Sof, and all sorts of different traditions. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, dot, dot, dot. Uh, same thing, particularly with Nityananda, there's a whole lot of projection upon him as to what he was. Uh, to me, um, and I heard one other disciple, something writing, um, called him a force of nature. And <clears throat> this is what I have seen in entities or teachers or beings that I would consider nearly finished. I don't know if I've met anybody from 8th density, but I've met some from 6, <laughs> and those that are probably straddling 6, 7, 8. Um, they're very much depersonalized or be depersonified. There's no subjectivity going on there anymore. They are pure objectivity. That's a an objective force of creation, not a personal subjective interpreting or acting willfully. Like Ross said, the crystallized healer has no will, no personal willfulness. And <clears throat> so there's lots of mystery around Nityananda's life, he didn't speak very much about it. And um, he didn't refer to himself in the first person, I or me. He said, this one here. And his teachings um, were only, uh, are only those that were recorded by devotees, disciples, who uh, heard him speak and wrote it down in one of the dialects of southern India where he was and years later put it together into books and documents and the main document is called Chiddakash Gita you can buy it, it's available in English there's some good websites with it and I might read it but it's really beyond me <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> because he's talking he's using um, um, yogic terminology Hindu yogic praxis, practice um, far beyond my understanding. Uh, and so, you know, the, the main reason I agreed to read of Nityananda here and present it here on the channel for whoever's listening, um, first is my love, devotion, and um, feeling for him. Um, Secondly, is um, uh, I just think that the more people understand, <laughs> get a sense of what this was, or he was, or that one there called Nityananda was, and did, the more you'll see um, what what uh, the logos um, is, or how the logos may appear in physical form. Uh, I have no certainty. His head is above mine, so I can't see his his scalp. So I don't know his level, but <laughs> uh, more so than anyone else I've spoken of, um, with the exception of Gautama, uh, he's uh, way above me, <laughs> way above us, um, and um, in a totally different category than anyone else I've seen, other than Gautama. Not to say that there aren't others <clears throat> who've achieved eighth density. I think Ramana Maharshi, likely. I think a number of the Buddhist um, Ajans, like uh, Ajan Li Damodaro, Webu Sayadaw, 
um, Dilgo Kensi from Tibet, I'd say. <clears throat> um, the Karmapa, the la not the current, but the last Karmapa uh, in Tibetan Buddhism. And there are others, and I don't know everybody. Um, and uh, Lin Chi was critical. Um, but Nichananda um, is in a different <laughs> category. And I don't presume to understand, but I can share some reflections. And so I don't know how long this series will go. <clears throat> I don't really think that it's... I'm not sure I would read Chittagash Gita, but... I might end up reading some stories of devotees or people over the years collecting stories about his life and their experiences with him. So what I'll do today is start with this link from Cosmic Harmony and see how far we go before uh, the hour's up and um, decide what we're going to do uh, in the next week before the next class. So, uh, of the biographies that I've seen online of Nityananda, this one from Cosmic Harmony I think is the best. It's certainly the largest, the longest, and it's um, carefully written. So, let me read it from CosmicHarmony.com, Nityananda.htm, uh, Story of Nityananda. Uh, it says, <clears throat> and I think, um, I'm not sure how, <laughs> it, I'll probably try to read it all the way through and then come back and comment rather than break it up with comments. Nichinanda was born just before the beginning of the 20th century, about 1896, and lived until 1961. He was a Satpurush or Antarjani, Antarayani. It's a kind of yani, like yana yoga. Uh, Satparush, or Antaryani, an enlightened being who was always in the atmic state, meaning atman, even as a child. He was found as an infant in a jungle in India by a woman collecting firewood who was attracted to a heavily wooded area by the loud cawing of crows. She had her own family, so she took up the infant and gave him to her friend, who had a barren daughter, meaning a daughter who didn't have a child. The daughter was a servant in the home of a high-caste Brahmin lawyer named Ishwar Ayer. She, the daughter who was the servant of Ishwar Ayer, named the baby Ram, Ram, a synonym for God. As an infant, Nityananda was troubled by a serious ailment and was miraculous, miraculously cured in a very strange manner. These are, again, all stories from devotees, disciples, <clears throat> over the decades of his life and then after and put together here. So he didn't write this, but it was put together. His adopted mother took the sick child for a walk and soon saw a dark-skinned foreigner carrying a large bag slung over his shoulder. Thinking maybe he could help, she, the adopted mother or adoptive mother, explained the problem and as if, the, as if the mysterious stranger had been waiting for just this moment, he took out a packet from his bag and told her to mix the contents with the flesh of a freshly killed crow that had been fried in ghee, clarified butter. So um, stir-fry crow um, to mix the contents of what he had with um, fried crow. She was also to rub the blood of the crow all over Ram's skin. Just then, a plantation worker, whom she had never seen before, appeared with a dead crow, which he gave over to the mother. The mother was overjoyed, but when she tried to thank the two strangers, they had disappeared. She carefully followed the instructions, and within days, the ailing child regained full health. <clears throat> However, the skin of Ram, or Nityananda's name, Nityananda, which at birth had been a light tan, was turned permanently a dark bluish brown by the crow's blood. The same color is comparable to the color often ascribed to Krishna, who is said to have been the color of a thundercloud. In later years, if any devotee pa pressed Nityananda for details of his birth or childhood, he only said cryptically that a crow came and a crow left. 
As the young Ram grew into childhood, Mr. Ayer, the lawyer, the Brahmin lawyer for whom the mother worked, grew very attached to him. The foster mother died when Ram was six, and Mr. Ayer adopted him into the family. The devout Mr. Ayer felt a strong attraction to Ram and took him on his pilgrimages to the Krishna temple. On these trips, Ram would often explain abstruse metaphysical points to the amazed elder Ayer. A well-known astrologer told him that, as shown in Mr. Ayer's chart, the boy was an incarnate personality, meaning avatar, <clears throat> and thus it was a great blessing for him to be in Ram's company. So even the adoptive father or stepfather father <laughs> looked up to him. When Ram was ten years old, Mr. Ayer took him to the holy city of Benares, Varanasi. There, Ram asserted that he was leaving the household. Though Mr. Ayer pleaded tearfully with him, he would not change his mind at age 10. Before going, though, he conferred on Mr. Ayer a divine vision and promised they would meet again. Ram wandered widely around the north of India and the Himalayas for six years, till he was 16. <clears throat> Several sources indicate that he was known in the Himalayas as a great Kundalini Yogi. The Kundalini is the serpent power of the mother aspect, coiled up in the Muladhar Chakra, meaning base chakra, situated at the base of the spine in each person. So this is a commentary. In a spiritually advanced individual, the awakened Kundalini energy rises up along the spiral, spinal column, piercing the chakras and conferring new powers and states of consciousness as it rises in until full samadhi is attained on its reaching the highest chakra at the crown of the head. <clears throat> this is a, a little bit different view than the raw material, which basically talks about that there's always an energy circulation from root to crown. It's just a matter of quantity and quality and purity um, associated with the development of the chakras, associated with development of consciousness and lower chakra blockage releasing. Um, a little bit different, but not about, it's not uh, the, the Hindu view here is just that it comes up, it, when you do the work, then the upper chakras are cleared and it's they're pierced or something, and then it goes to the crown. But actually, I think it's always circulating. Anyway, and the, also, this is a Hindu understanding of the word samadhi. They're using samadhi as full enlightenment <laughs> rather than samadhi as deep concentration in Buddhism. So anyway, he was regarded as a great kundalini yogi or as a great yogi, so it's said by some who recorded the story. Meanwhile, Mr. Ayer had returned sadly back to his home and resumed his life without the spiritual young Ram. As he grew older and approached the close of his life, he thought constantly of the boy. At this time, quite unexpectedly, Ram turned up at his house, knowing Mr. Ayer's end was near and thus keeping a promise to see him once again. Mr. Ayer was ecstatic and kept repeating Nityananda, Nityananda. It was probably Nityanan, Nityanan, meaning endless bliss. Ananda means bliss. Nitya is endless. So Nityanan, Nityanan. After this incident, Ram became known as Nityananda, or Nityanan. The young Nityanan, then 16, took Mr. Ayer to the city of Udipi in, for the darshan of Krishna, and the Anteshwar Temple. <clears throat> this is in the south, um, I think near Kerala, in the south-west um, coastal area of India. Later, south of Goa. Later, Nityananda remarked that he had been present at the construction of the temple of Antash, An Anteshwar. It's, yeah, Anteshwar. He had been present, he claimed, <laughs> remarked that he had been present at the construction of the temple of Ananteshwar approximately 400 years earlier. Shortly afterwards, Mr. Iyer became gravely ill. As he lay on his head on Nityananda's lap, he expressed a desire to have a vision of the sun god Barga, which he had worshipped his entire life. Barga is the divinity whose outward expression is the sun of our solar system. Nityananda granted his request, and Mr. Ayer merged into the ocean of spirit. It doesn't, you, know, you see again, there are a lot of add-ons here with people interpreting things. <clears throat> and there's a quote, and I'll read them just straight up, straight through here. A quote from Nityananda, quote, One must seek the shortest way and the fastest means to get back home, to turn the spark within into a blaze, 
to be merged in and to identify with that greater fire which ignited the spark. So the greater fire is Godhead, the Absolute, the Logos, Intelligent Infinity, <clears throat> and the uh, spark is Atman, or, or our beingness could be understood as um, the spark of Godhead, you know, the kingdom of heaven within, the real kingdom, not just fourth density. After this, <clears throat> Nityananda wandered far and wide and is said to have been in Ceylon, Rangoon, Singapore, and Burma before returning to spend time in the south of India. <clears throat> During World War I, he was forcibly drafted into the army. He later laughed as he told of being examined for his physical. The doctor could not find, could not hear any heartbeat, nor find any pulse, and so he rejected the hardy Nityananda as unfit. During this time period, he is known to have gone to Palani, <clears throat> another sacred town with temple. After the morning worship, the priest of the Palani shrine was locking the doors and going down the steps when Nityananda accosted him and asked him to reopen the doors so that he could wave lights before the deity. This is called the Arati ceremony and uh, still goes on in ev pretty much every temple in uh, India. <clears throat> Most sects uh, do Arati ceremony. The priest was astonished that the young vagrant would ask a person of his stature to perform such a favor and refuse the request. Nichinanda proceeded as if he had not heard the refusal and somehow opened the locked doors and entered the temple. <clears throat> shortly, shortly afterwards, the priest heard the temple bell ringing, and he looked up to see Nityananda in the place of the deity with invisible hands waving arati lights before him. Then Nityananda came down from the temple and stood on one leg looking upward in a yogic asan, meaning asana, posture. As he stood motionless, a lot of money was poured at his feet, and Nityananda gave it to the leader of the local sannyasis to establish a meal center for the visiting pilgrims. Later it came out that the local sannyasis had been praying to the Lord at Palani to be provided with at least a daily meal during their stay there. <clears throat> so you get a sense of um, his um, anti, <laughs> his anti-establishment anti-establishment tendency, where uh, he he. Uh, like Yeshua is to some degree um, uh, bringing a sword to the rigidity, to the arrogance, to the ignorance, to the wrong-headedness of some of the religious orthodoxy of his time. Meanwhile, uh, the purpose of all of what he did, not only to wake up the dogmatic religious to their limitations, uh, also to provide the sincere with food with help, with real tangible help. Again, when he stayed at Mangalore, visiting devotees would often leave money at his feet. He would ask that the money be collected, and after a few days, when there was enough, he would order a feast for the poor. He would allow only the finest quality foods to be purchased, and would himself help in preparing and distributing the food. He would ladle out huge portions to each person, even when it appears that there was not enough food to go around. But many people who had been present at these feedings attested that the food never ran out before everyone had had enough. Later, when he had established a permanent ashram at Ganeshpuri, he instituted a daily feeding of the poor children in the area, which continues even today. In the early days of feeding the poor, <clears throat> Many people would help pay for the feedings, although others around them thought they were being manipulated by the young Nityananda. One such was a youth from a well-to-do family who would occasionally bring sums of money and give them over to Nityananda. The father of the boy thought he was being influenced unduly by what he considered to be an eccentric grifter and hired assassins to have Nityananda removed from the scene. Nityananda was with some devotees one day when he suddenly got up and walked away from them with a smile on his face. They followed to see why he had left so unexpectedly and came upon him being held by one of the hired men while the other had a knife which he held above his head with his arm extended upward. 
ready to cut his head or cut his throat or something. The devotees grabbed the men and took the knife away from the one would-be assassin. He was in great pain and shouting to have his arm restored to normal. It was frozen in the upright position, and nobody could bring it back down to a normal position. Finally, Nityananda touched the man's arm and it went back to normal. Afterwards, the police had the would-be assassins locked up, but Nityananda wanted them to be freed. The police did not agree, so Nityananda determined to stay outside the jail until they agreed. After three days without food or water, his devotees finally convinced the officials to let the men go free. The two later became devotees, and the local officials gained a deeper appreciation of the young eccentric sadhu. Sadhu is uh, <clears throat> generally like a wandering yogi. So you're getting a sense of his character, right? <laughs> Total forgiveness. They no relishing of punishment for the wicked. Uh, and everything he's doing is teaching. All the time. Everyone. Looks like to me. Particularly holy people attract, and this is commentary from whoever wrote this, particularly holy people attract both good and evil. And young Nityananda was once attacked by some young roughs, ruffians, who wrapped a kerosene-soaked rag around his hand and set it on fire. Nityananda characteristically stood there stoically as his hand burned, outwardly unfazed, but he transferred the actual pain to the person who had lit the rag on fire. The perpetrator ran about screaming in pain and apologizing for his behavior. Nityananda extinguished the fire and simultaneously the pain felt by the young man. <laughs> Uh, and there's a little anecdote about his life here. At this period of his life, Nityananda was in his early 20s. There's a picture of him standing on a tree branch, looking like a real ascetic, looking very noble, actually. He traveled in southwestern India, around the cities of Bangalore and Kanangad. Uh, Kanangad, it actually sounds like Kanangad. The, in the local dialect, it doesn't sound like Kanangad. Anyway, he was around these cities, Bangalore and Kangara, and lived quite simply. He had no possessions or home, and wore either a simple loincloth or nothing at all. He was often seen standing stiffly at the top of a tall tree for hours at a time. He would throw leaves down to the people that gathered below. His healing powers were widely known, and these leaves were gathered eagerly, eagerly and treasured for their medicinal properties. After one such incident, all the leaves had been gathered by the crowd, who had then gone away to their homes. Only a blind man remained who had not gotten any of the coveted leaves. He pleaded with the young Nityananda to restore his sight, as he could no longer hold a job and was therefore now a burden to his family. <clears throat> Nityananda descended from the tree and took a handful of leaves, like the handful of leaves sutta, and rubbed the man's eyes with them but said nothing. There was no change to his eyesight, so the man went back to his home. But on arising the next day, his eyesight had been restored. <clears throat> so anybody who thinks that the miracles Yeshua performed uh, show that he's the one and only Son of God don't know metaphysics in the cities very well, like most people in Western nations, let alone religion, religions of the Abrahamic tradition. On another occasion... A man wanted some leaves for his mother, who was seriously ill with a lump in her leg. Medicines had been tried, but no, but to no avail. Nichinanda responded, This one knows and is there, but did not offer any leaves. The man did not understand, and returned, and brought his mother to the tree where Nichinanda was, but the young master was no longer there, so he left. When he returned home with his mother, he was surprised to see Nityananda descending the stairs of his home from the attic. Nityananda rubbed the affected area for a few minutes, and the mother soon recovered. After many such incidents, the reputation of the strange young ascetic as a healer spread far and wide. <clears throat> uh, and a little text block here. <clears throat> a particular, a peculiar characteristic of the young Nityananda was that he would not take food or water for himself. Occasionally a devotee would give him something to eat or some water to drink, and he would signal when he had had enough. 
If no one offered anything, he would go days without food or water. He also seemed to be oblivious to heat or cold, and he often stayed on the hot sands of the Ganga, the Ganges, under the hot Indian sun, which is really hot, for days at a time. Some days he would spend the entire day just sitting there looking directly into the sun. Some people tried to approach to visit him, but they could not cross the burning sands until evening. <coughs> in 1918, he was in the city of Udipi at the Krishna temple there. Two of the local men, Dr. Kambarbel and his friend Mr. Bhatt, used to walk daily to the temple and one day were attracted by the lean, bright-looking Nityananda standing among the usual collection of ascetics at the table. I'm sorry, at the temple. <laughs> it's sort of a table because <laughs> they're there to get something or food or money. They tried to talk to him, but he turned away from them, declining to be recognized. A few weeks later, they saw him again alone at the Ananteshwar temple. The doctor seized his hands so he could not retreat and addressed him rapidly in three different languages, Hindi, Kanaris, and English, not knowing which Indian dialect he might speak. The young ascetic appeared to have trouble to appeared to be having trouble speaking and repeated several times Nityananda Nityananda it was really Nityanan Nityanan alluding to the fact that his blissful state made the formulation of speech difficult that's how it goes when he finally responded to the two gentlemen the unschooled Nityananda replied to them fluently also in three different languages two of which they had used in questioning him English and Hindi and a third, Konkani, which was their own native language, which they had given no indication of knowing. So he knew <laughs> he was fluent in the language that they well, was native to them that he hadn't spoken, that they hadn't spoken to him. During his, during this period of his life, Nityananda traveled to many different villages and cities in the area. His presence was unpredictable, and yet he, he had an uncanny knack of turning up unexpectedly somewhere whenever people in the area would gather and express the desire to see him. Often he would disappear in one place and appear up to 50 miles away and nobody could explain how he had covered the distance so quickly. Of course, he can <laughs> transmit, he can move his body across space uh, by mind. <clears throat> once he was, once another anecdotal block here, once he was invited to Mrs. Krishnabai's house, who had lovingly prepared the place for his visit. He arrived, but left immediately, saying he could not stay. There was a large crowd watching, watching as Miss, Mrs. Krishnabai's husband and a friend tried to restrain the young master and bring him back, but the tall, thin Nityananda casually picked them both up and continued walking. Finally, after about half a mile, he turned back to the house saying, she stopped me, meaning that the magnetic pull of her love and devotion had made him return, while the men's physical efforts to stop him had been fruitless. So he's totally focused on um, working, with, working on the inner. At the Krishna temple, some of the local delinquents took a, liking, a disliking to him and would throw rocks at Nityananda to keep him away. <laughs> this is this happens. Um, very positive, very bright people are hateful to the evil. The the, the wicked hate the the radiant loving, and um, it gets them all in a tizzy. Their their astral demons are upset generally. So they'd throw rocks at Nityananda to keep him away. Whenever a rock would hit him, it would scintillate but then fall to the ground again as an ordinary rock. Mm. After one such incident, a large number of these stones were later inexplicably found at the feet of the Krishna statue. Recognizing the true status of Nityanan, the elderly Swami of the local monastery let it be known that Nityanan was no ordinary sadhu and was to be treated with the respect he was due. So it took them a long time to figure out that, that he's above them. <laughs> because uh, uh, they, the, the religious orthodoxy would normally think everyone's below them, except for those in their lineage. One day, Nityanan picked up a coconut and offered it to Mrs. Sitabai, 
a young married woman. Normally, it is very auspicious to receive a coconut from a holy person, and a married woman would receive it gratefully as a benediction warding off widowhood. However, this woman was filled with doubts because she was from a high caste family and she didn't know if it was proper for her to receive a, ge- a gift from the caste last Nityanan. Nityanan held it for several minutes, waiting for her to accept it. She refused. Three months later, she was a widow. And the next, uh, is a teach- uh, next block here is a teaching phrase. <clears throat> Quote, this is something that was uh, recorded that he had spoken. He didn't write anything down. Uh, he spoke, Quote, There are various tests to which a devotee is subjected. They could be of the mind, of the intellect, of the body, and so on. A number of such tests are there. In fact, God is conducting tests all the time. Every occurrence in life is a test. Every thought that crops up in the mind is in itself a test to see what one's reaction will be. Hence, one must be always alert and aloof, conducting oneself with a spirit of detachment, viewing everything as an opportunity afforded to gain experience, to improve oneself, and go on to a higher stage, which is very much about getting beyond lower blockage and activation or development of the higher chakras or qualities of mind or love, wisdom, and greater awareness. (laughs) Some... uh, little truck is moving around here. Going on. Nityananda, Nityanan was fond of riding the trains. Since many of the railroad personnel knew him, they would often let him ride in the engine car or in the train or even without a ticket. <clears throat> Once a new official had him forcibly removed from the train because he was without a ticket. Nityanan remained passive, even though he had been handled roughly but when it was time for the train to depart, the train simply would not move. Some of the passengers approached the official, explained that Nityanan, who was not an ordinary sannyasi, should not have been handled so roughly. They then escorted Nityanan back onto the train, and the train was able to start as soon as he boarded. In 1925, Nityanan settled briefly in the Kanangad area and began construction of the Sunrise Sunset Caves. This project entailed building a road up to the area and clearing the surrounding jungle. Now that area is called Guruvan, I believe. The sudden activity in the area was noticed, and some of the local officials asked him with what authority he was taking these actions. He told them that someday there would be government offices at the site, and that he was clearing the area for them. (laughs) This answer seemed to satisfy them, and they left him alone. Subsequently, in later years, this came true. After the preliminary clearing and road work was over, Nityananda began carving the caves from the rock hills of the area. Forty caves in all were dug with six entrances, three facing east and three facing west, so that there was always light within the caves, no matter what time of day it was. So he was helping um, sannyasis, sadhus, yogis. Many of the locals were hired to assist with the digging of the caves, and the manner in which they were paid was most unusual. Nityananda would sometimes direct the foreman to a certain tree, where he would find just the right amount of money lying on the ground at the foot of the tree. At other times, the workers would line up and walk past Nityanand, and as each went by, Nityanand would open and close his empty fist, and down would drop the exact daily wages for each man. One of the devotees tells of an interesting incident that happened during this time. A man came to Nityanan and demanded that if he be such a holy great man or a great holy man, let God be revealed to him. At first Nityanan simply ignored the man, but this only made him more demanding, which is commonly the way it goes. Eventually Nityanan grabbed an umbrella and aimed it at the man's toe. Nobody exactly knows what the man experienced, but he screamed and lost consciousness, and was taken away to the hospital. The doctor, in charge of the hospital, came to interview Nityananda, and went away to inform the police that he appeared insane, and possibly dangerous. The police came and took him off to the local magistrate. Nityananda declared that he had done nothing, and the magistrate asked if he had any witnesses. 
The master pointed to the four pillars of the hall and said they were his witnesses. <laughs> it's great. The magistrate concluded that Nityanan really was out of his mind and had him locked up because he's a great man helping uh, to protect us in the society. <laughs> great human <laughs> policeman. After a while, Nityanan told one of the jailers that he had to urinate. He was given a container to use, but it soon filled up and started overflowing. They brought him another, and it too was quickly filled. Next, they brought a large water pot, and he soon filled that as well. The police concluded that he was indeed, as reported by the devotees, an extraordinary individual and should not be locked up. The authorities soon released him, and he returned back to the construction site in time to disperse the afternoon wages. So, everything he's doing is for others. Everything. <laughs> Looks to me. <clears throat> Another anecdotal text block here. After the caves were completed around 1933, so this is what he was doing while Europe was approaching the Second World War, Nityanand spent several years traveling about once again. Once three Muslims came to him and stood reverentially before him. They had just returned from a pilgrimage to Mecca, and they told him so. He asked them what they saw there, and they replied, We saw you there, Swamiji, and hence we are here to pay our homage. Nityananda averted his face, but not before a smile was seen on his lips. That's what makes these that's what makes a being like this happy. <laughs> when others recognize um what he can do in benefit for them. That, yeah, he, <laughs> there is something special about him. Yeah, there's God. Yeah, there's magic. Yeah, there is a miracle. Magic, miracle, Godhead, the miraculous, the magical, is alive. And um, he was a manifestation or embodiment of that uh, magical creation. The universe is God's magical creation or magical kingdom. And um, doing that kind of magical work and having others recognize it and appreciate it and be benefited by it and then help themselves by that, that brings a smile to his face. That's uh, the pure, pure mind. And this is all in my view, but I think uh, it's so. Going on, in his travels he carried out a number of construction tasks. He repaired the hot spring tanks at Akroli and also built a charity hospital opposite the Vajresh, uh, Vajresh, uh, Vajresh, Vajresh, how about that, Vajreshwari, Vajreshwari temple. He repaired the Nat Mandir near the temple, and also supervised construction of a large well, which is the main source of water for the temple. At about that time, it is reported that an earnest seeker came to him and asked to have his kundalini energy awakened. Nityananda touched his spinal cord, and the man went into the samadhi state. <clears throat> Time check. Okay, I'll be able to possibly finish this today. Yes, I think so. By this time, Nityananda had a very large following of devotees and people whose lives he had touched in some way. In 1936, he moved to Ganeshpuri area, outside Bombay, which is where... Um, Muktananda's group began or exists today, Sita Foundation and all that. Uh, so he moved to Ganesh Puri outside Bombay, 1936. He stayed near the Bimeshvar temple, and for the most part his travels were behind him. At that time, the city of Ganesh Puri was surrounded by jungles and thickly wooded areas filled with wild animals, including dangerous ones such as tigers and cobras. <laughs> I just dreamed of a massive tiger <laughs> last night. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Thank you. How lovely. <laughs> How about that? <clears throat> I didn't remember till just now that I actually dreamt I saw a massive tiger, of a, like eight foot large tiger, in my dream last night. How about that? Beautiful. Thank you. <clears throat> At the temple, <laughs> there was a massive old pipal tree in which many snakes lived. In some mysterious manner, uh, Nichananda ordered the snakes <clears throat> to leave the area, which he did. 
He then performed a ritual at the site of the sacred peepal tree and had it cut down. As word spread of his presence in the area, many devotees gathered there and began to construct a shelter. Um, so basically what... <laughs> I was in another dimension there, but... Uh, there's this old tree, many, many snakes in some way. He ordered the snakes to leave the area, which they did. He then performed a ritual at the site, at the site of the sacred peepal tree and had it cut down because he could work with them. As word spread of his presence in the area, <clears throat> many devotees gathered there and began to construct a shelter. Nityananda began clearing the jungle around the area and constructing a road up to the ashram. There were many hot springs in the area, and these were fashioned into suitable pools used for ritual bathing. <clears throat> many of the local poor stopped by daily, and Nityananda would share food with them. This was the beginning of an ashram, and Nityananda was to remain there until leaving the body in 1961. As time went on, <clears throat> many facilities for lodging were built by devotees, and simple furnishings were provided for comfort and preparation of food. It should be noted that the master never was known to consider anything as his. He would say, there, quote, there are so many things in this ashram. If this one goes elsewhere, none of these things would be taken, meaning uh, leave everything here. Being established in the Atomic Consciousness, he never referred to himself as I, but would say, this one, or from here. As the years passed, the number of visitors to the ashram increased. Swami Chetanyananda tells of going on a visit to the Ganesh Puri ashram in a taxi in 1973, 12 years after the Master's passing. The taxi driver, who was taking him, told of going to the same ashram as a young man. He had heard of a great saint living at Ganeshpuri and had gone there to get his blessings. He arrived to find a very long line of people waiting to file past Nityananda for his darshan. As he got closer, he observed that as each person's turn came, they would say something to Nityananda or offer a gift, and he would respond very simply with a nod, a gesture, or just a sound. Therefore, he was very surprised when his turn came, and Nityanand said to him, Go and bring your brother here. His brother had been blind since birth, and the next week he returned to the ashram and was told by Nityanand to leave the brother and come back for him in three days. When he returned, his brother could see. Once a family came to the ashram, <clears throat> bringing their severely sick infant, the child had been sick with pneumonia for three days, and had not opened its eyes during that time. <clears throat> the family held the baby up to Nityanan and asked that the child's eyes be opened. Just a moment. He passed his hand in front of the baby's face and the eyes opened, but as he brought his hand down again the eyes closed once more. He told them to perform the last rites as the child had died. Later, a close devotee ventured to remark that it was unfortunate that the child died at the ashram. If it had to die, it would have had been better if it had happened elsewhere. Nityananda rebuked him, saying, What do you know or understand about these matters? <laughs> this is the fourth time the same child has come out of the same mother's womb, and it has been seeking mukti, liberation. It has been wanting freedom, but karmic law has been dragging it down again and again for manifestation in the same family. Its intense desire has now been fulfilled, and it won't have to come again. End quote. The devotee later talked with the family and learned that there had indeed been three previous children that had all died shortly after birth. <laughs> this is um, how it is. Lots of people who know very, very little think they know much. 
and deserve to be rebuked, but they can't handle that either. So they deserve to be left alone in their ignorance. Thus do great beings leave. Around 1942, a businessman came to the ashram. He at, he at one time had a profitable business, but since had lost everything. He came to the ashram seeking Nityananda's blessing. On the day of his, uh, the day of his visit, the master kept repeating the word radi, 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 which means waste material or shit, I think, over and over. The word planted itself in the man's mind, and he kept thinking of the word that day and the day after, even though he had left the ashram. The next day, he was walking through the city, and he came across an auction in progress. A quantity of radi was being auctioned, and he purchased it immediately, and was able to resell it at a profit. He continued buying and selling the manure, radi, and soon was making back some of the money he had lost earlier. He became a regular devotee and was thereafter known as Radiwala, he who is in charge of Manor, the Manor man, like uh, Chaiwala means tea man. Radiwala is the man uh, who takes care of the Manor. Another, and and he made his money back and became fine after that. Another visitor was a man who had consulted a well-known astrologer to examine his wife's horoscope. The astrologer did so and informed the man that his wife would soon die due to a bad affliction of the planet Saturn in the chart, in the progressed Saturn in the chart. The man was greatly upset as he had also two young children who would have been left motherless. He went to see Nityananda and seek his aid in the matter. He arrived at the ashram at a time when there were only a few people present. He quietly sat down and Nityanand immediately said to him, Saturn is there, but God is also there. He then gave the man a series of complicated instructions to carry out. The man carefully followed out the instructions to the letter, and when the day came for the predicted event, it came and went without incident. So there is much higher force than astrology or planetary energetic influence, of course. At the nearby Krishna temple, there was a box in which donations were collected. One night, Nityanand asked his devotees to go and check to see how much money there was in the collection box. He was told it was nearly full, and he told them to empty it, but to leave one-fourth of the money in it. The next morning, the devotees found that the box had been broken into, and all the money was gone. They ran to tell Nityanand, but of course he already knew of it. That is why he had asked that most of the money be removed. He explained that among the visitors the previous day was a very poor man who had sat there and prayed silently to be allowed to break into the, con- the collection box as he was near starvation. The master had approved, but said the amount left for him was adequate to meet his current needs. <laughs> this is way beyond <laughs> any, any human that I've seen. Um, and... Um, you know, this is why I consider him uh, at par with Gautama, without a doubt. Uh, another anecdote block here. One night at the ashram, a group of visiting devotees was staying in a room, and Nityanand came and sat with them. He remained silent most of the time. One of the ladies spoke to another of his silence, and the second woman replied that it was sunset, a good time to meditate, thus implying that the master was probably deep in meditation. Nityanand heard the conversation that was going on in his presence and said to them, All that was over in the mother's womb. (laughs) Because he didn't need to meditate. He was finished upon entry. Once, a long-time devotee asked Nityanand if he could see God. He replied, More clearly than you can be seen. Another time, a swami swami came to the ashram to ask Nityanand some questions. He said, why do they call you God? And Nityananda replied, Everyone is a God here, including yourself and all the ones who are seated here. Meaning, everyone is God. His devotees often experienced his awareness of whatever was transpiring in their lives. He told them, quote, Whenever devotees meet and talk about him, this one is there. Meaning, he is with this one or the one who is talking about him. A similar statement he made is also very enlightening. And this is a transcription of what he said in trance. 
Once one is established in infinite consciousness, one becomes silent, and though knowing everything, goes about as if he does not know anything. Though he might be doing a lot of things in several places, to, to all outward appearance, he will remain as if he does nothing. So, he'll be sitting in the ashram. Um, meanwhile, his mind projection does work elsewhere. And here's a story about that. One moment. Around that time period, several famous Indian Swamis had gone to the West to bring Vedantic knowledge to America, including Vivekananda and Yogananda, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. A, a devotee asked Nityanand if he too would be going. He answered, quote, One has to go abroad only if one cannot see places from here or deal with people there. <laughs> so the only, the only uh, Swamis who need to go travel are those who cannot who don't have full clairvoyance or um, the ability to transfer consciousness and body um, by mind. The master made a similar statement toward the end of his life. It appears that there were many signs of his impending passing, but his devotees were mostly unaware of them. One woman devotee properly interpreted some of the signs and was distraught to learn of his plans to depart, meaning he planned it, of course. He said to her, Why are you crying? Don't cry. More is possible on the subtle than on the gross, meaning in time-space or in the metaphysical, in the non-physical, more can be done than in the physical. Although the number of people coming to the ashram increased greatly towards the end of his life, many of them came merely to secure material benefit, such as a better house, more money, a car, and so on. Often these wishes were granted through his blessings, but instead of being satisfied, the people would just return to ask for more. 3D human repeaters. Nityanan appears appeared to have been sad that so few were interested in what he had truly come to give them, spiritual enlightenment, or the appreciation of spiritual seeking and its goal. That's really, as a mani I would say, as a manifestation of the goal, which seems to be omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. Right? He could move out of his physical body freely, that's called omnipresence. He seemed to know <laughs> all sorts of things that people were thinking or had happened in the past without being told. That's omniscience. And um, he seemed to be able to do anything he wanted to do, like stop trains by his mind. That could be called omnipotence. So that looks like the Logos to me. <clears throat> and what he wanted to do was show a vision of Godhead through his embodiment, his life and works and embodiment, his activity, not necessarily his speech, actually. He was not here to teach by word. He was here to teach by action. Um, meanwhile, um, very few people wanted it. Um, one Tibetan Lama said something like, um, medicine is freely available, but few people want to take it. And uh, this is a sadness. And this, um, you know, this is the sadness of God, or... or wanders as brothers and sisters of sorrow, or Yeshua as the man of sorrows, or Nityanan feeling sad, that um, infinite, infinite possibility is right here for you to, to appreciate and learn to seek. You, you, you know, meeting him with spiritual seeking doesn't mean becoming Godhead in one step, but um, he was offering a vision of the goal uh, of uh, of source, and very few people saw it and appreciated it, um, and longed to follow that way. Uh, they just wanted stuff from him, so he felt some sadness. Late in the evening of August 7, 1961, Nityanan was alone with one devotee, and he told him that he would be leaving the body the next day. The devotee was in tears and asked him to change his mind or at least postpone the Mahasamadhi. Mahasamadhi means great samadhi. In Hinduism, means sort of the great um, release to um, moksha, the great liberation or release into complete and perfect enlightenment, infinity at death. He replied, quote, It is possible only if a few devotees come forward and make a request, meaning it's possible that he could delay. 
not any devotees, but those imbued with desireless devotion, bhava, feeling, and prema, love. Even one such is enough, and the samadhi, or his departure, will be cancelled for the time being. When such a devotee is present, even God cannot take leave without his permission, or be able to disengage himself from the bond of his pure love. However, though there were dozens of close devotees, and hundreds and even thousands who came to him, there were none advanced enough to be able to say they were completely without desire meaning without tanha, free of tanha, free of craving. The next day, towards noon, he took a few deep breaths, and then one very deep breath, so that his chest was fully expanded. He straightened his legs, put his hands over the abdomen, and then was not seen to move anymore. That's how a master leaves. They, they announce it. They offer an opportunity for postponement. If it doesn't happen... They gather the close of disciples, make final words, uh, take some breaths, and out they go for good, and the body is finished. <laughs> this is why I have no <laughs> respect for human authority, because they don't know anything. Uh, <laughs> though he had shed the body, and the point of contact on the physical plane was no more, his devotees continue to have experiences that he is still looking out for them. Even on the day of his Mahasamadhi or departure, his devotee, Dr. Pandlaskar, received his grace in a strange form. The doctor's young son, then nine years old, arose earlier than usual and in a very uncharacteristic manner said to the mother and father, the nine-year-old son said, What are you doing here? Go to Ganeshpuri. He will be going today. There is a call for him from the assembly of sages for help he alone can render in connection with the forthcoming Ashtagraha conjunction in February 62, eight planets lined up in the sign of Capricorn, which portends great evil to the world in general and to India in particular. End quote. The son, nine years old, knew nothing about astrology and certainly had no way of knowing about the passing of the master on that day. And so... <laughs> That's a gift from Nityanand to the doctor through his son to say, come and you may say goodbye to me if you wish. Uh, and the son was saying that the assembly of sages uh, in higher dimensions, that's probably the council of Saturn asking for help he alone can render in conjunction or in connection with a conjunction. And that really is an astrological fact that in February 62 there was that Ashtagraha conjunction. During his life, Nityanand never held forth views or any dogma to be followed. He never required any certain beliefs or practices of his devotees. He preferred that they not even discuss their own paths or experiences with one another. Quote, People come here with different predilections, he once explained. Once some devotees of Shirdi Sai Baba came for his darshan, uh, before they could all enter, he shouted to them, Go to Shirdi! Is the old man sitting there different than here? And so he was happy that they went back to him, not him. Or go back to uh, Shirdi. It was the original Sai Baba. I'm not sure if that's the, the curly-haired Baba. I think it's actually the original his reincarnation or his uh, incarnation before. The devotees received his darshan in silence, for the most part, but they knew that he was always aware of whatever was transpiring in their lives and was actively involved in looking out for their spiritual unfoldment. A devotee once asked what mental state should be cultivated, and Nityananda said, It, the state of mind, should be like a lotus leaf, which, though in water, with its stem in the mud and flower above, is yet untouched by both. Similarly, the mind should be kept untainted by the mud of desires and the water of distractions, even though engaged in worldly activities. During his life, he always set an example by rendering service to others through his feeding of the poor and other activities. His devotees knew that he placed a high value on serving others. Once one of them asked him what would be the result of performing seva, or service, for Satpurush such as himself, in an angry tone, Nityananda said to him, Who wants seva? 
Does the god ask to be worshipped? It is the man who does so to get something out of him. Go back and do your duty without desire for fruit, meaning reward for your actions. It's do your danda, he said. Do your danda, your duty or dharma, without desire for fruit or without desiring a reward for the actions and without sacrificing efficiency. That's the highest seva that you can render. As for spiritual progress, the essential thing is vairagya, detachment from worldliness. Without that, there can be no progress. And the final quote on the page from Nityanan, The ocean has plenty of water. It is the size of the container brought to collect it that determines the quantity taken. So, <laughs> there's an infinity, um, boundless uh, reservoir of uh, light and love and therefore joy and wisdom knowing and power um, and freedom. Uh, it's simply a matter of how much we seek it. And Ra said the, the strength of the light is equal to the strength of the desire to seek the light. So the stronger the seeking, the stronger the light. But the seeking, obviously, if, if it includes spiritual practice, needs to be a spiritual practice that works, not is harmful. So some techniques are helpful to a degree. Some technique is uh, not helpful at all. And some technique could take one all the way uh, if one gives oneself totally to the practice. So, um, that concludes the reading of the page from Cosmic Harmony uh, about the life of Nityanan. And I think you can get a sense of um, what he was and where he is as a being compared to everyone else. To me, as I said many times, <laughs> clearly he is as uh, his core devotees saw him to be uh, an embodiment or incarnation of Godhead, or the Logos, um, where everything he's doing is for others. He has no possession, <laughs> and he seemed to have no limit. Um, that's what it looks like to me. And you can say that some people are making up stories, but we're talking about hundreds of people and hundreds of stories um, over decades of uh, 20th century. Hundreds of people with hundreds of stories that all seem to show the same thing, which is omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. Uh, and... Um, this, to me, is uh, what um, what a fully completed being uh, is. Appears one form, one manifestation of what a completed being is. And um, I think that's very important. <laughs> uh, to see the sun in the sky and to know that uh, all of what we experience, at least on the horizontal, is uh, here beneath the sky or beneath the sun you know, heaven, earth, and man. So, um, Nichinan is like the sun in the sky, or um, the sun, as among many other suns in a galaxy. And, of course, that's logoic level. So, um, I offer that for your consideration. <laughs> Do what you may with it. Next week, um, I think I'll continue, but I'm not sure how, what documents I'll work from. But I appreciate this, the chance to read, and I hope it was useful. I appreciate the inspiration that made this happen. Uh, I wish you well, take good care, and good night. <laughs>